You may be seated. Good to see you. Sometimes you're just better off to start out with something, right? Um, you have this picture blown up, don't you? Okay, go ahead and shove that on the screen. Um, I didn't hear any awls. Uh, don't you know what you do when you show family pictures, right? Um, that's us at Trunk or Treat a few years ago. I know it's hard to figure out with the ketchup and the mustard bottles. Uh, Jamie is the mustard. Uh, I'm ketchup. <laughs> well, well, if anyone knows me, you all know I'm cheap. Um, thrifty, thrifty, better word? Um, thrifty. Um, and I believe every one of those costumes was from Goodwill, so we did the whole family for under 20 bucks, which if you can get a family costume that all matches for under $20, you're doing good. Uh, because, and you say, what in the world does that have to do with it? We're going to get to family in a minute. But let me tell you this much. Um, I'll do a lot of crazy things. I've got wigs. I like to wear flamboyant, bizarre things sometimes. But only for my children would I wear a ketchup bottle all evening. Okay? I won't do it for you. I just want you to know that right now. I love y'all. I won't do it for you. But I, for my kids, I'd wear a ketchup bottle. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philemon this morning. And we're going to make a connection to all this when we get to the book of Philemon this morning. Uh, Philemon is the sister book to Colossians. Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians, we all believe were delivered by the same person at the same time, or the same group of people, Onesimus being one of them that delivered the book of Philemon. So this morning we're going to talk about Christian family dynamics. If I were to ask you what kind of a family you come from, we all have different answers to that, right? We all have different answers to what kind of family we come from. Some of us come from families that we're proud of. You know, you have some people that wear that family name with pride, right? Then you have others where, by the way, I'm, I'm with you guys on both because I've got family that's both ways, right? I've got a family that I love to claim on one side. Any of y'all that way? Family I love to claim. I love to be around them. Um, then I have family on the other side of the family where you're like, you hear somebody telling a joke about someone, uh, if you're around, uh, I know we've got some people here from the western part of the state, if you're around Clinton, Montezuma, and you hear my, the last name I'm connected to there, you'll hear some jokes, and you'll hear some people reference things that aren't as pleasant. Is that a good way to, yeah, <laughs> clean, whatever, whatever term you want to use, um, so we all come from different family dynamics. Each and every one of us in here 
either grew up in what we would consider a traditional family or a non-traditional family. Uh, I might have said this before, and, and, and Lord willing, if you hear me say it a million times, you'll hear me say it a million times. There are no families in the Bible that are completely functional. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely none. You can't find them. You say, well, you know, Joseph, Mary, eh, you really don't get, you know, how could that, Joseph, you know, he's a favored kid, got thrown in a pit, his brother sold him. Some of y'all in big families understand what it would be like to sell a brother because you're just like, hey, <laughs> I knew <laughs> I knew one of the Borgelings would chime in. So Hannah, he didn't specify which one he would sell. So, so you're, you might be okay. Um, but we all have different family dynamics. What I want to talk about this morning, uh, because, again, this is the conclusion of Colossians, really, is what a Christian family dynamic is like, what it's like to be a follower of Christ and what that picture looks like. So if you will, follow along with me the first, we'll go through the first uh, seven verses of Philemon. And before we do that, why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us. You would guide our words today. Lord, that you would give us wisdom. Lord, that you would help us to live according to your will in your family. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the beginning part of Philemon is this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Apia, our sister, and Acrippus, I'll, I'll mispronounce that five times, Acrippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the first five, seven verses here, so we're going to break it all down. Uh, how many of you read the Bible sometimes the first time and it all just sounds like mush? Okay, that's why I recommend if you're going to read something, read it through two or three times so you can process it. Now, reading the book of Philemon, remember the key to Philemon is reading Colossians first. Okay, so you're going to be, because if you don't, you're going to be lost. Who's Philemon? It says he's talking about the church and the house. Well, the church and the house is the church at Colossae. So he's literally calling out this pastor. His name is Philemon. He gets a separate letter. How many of you like it when you get a letter addressed to yourself that you're kind of reading her way through it and you're like, yeah. Ever been that way? You open up a letter, you know who it's coming from, and you're like, I don't know if it's going to go the way I think it's going to go. And I hope it's not going this direction. This has to be what Philemon thought as he's opening this letter. And I want you to realize the context of him opening this letter. He's opening this letter after his former slave who ran away gave it to him. 
Put yourself in that situation for a minute. <laughs> you, you served this person. This person was out the job you did, was out the money they paid for you, was out everything they owed you. Culturally, I know we don't understand there's a whole different culture, right? And we're going to talk about how God changes the culture in a few minutes with this, but it's a whole different culture. There were no rights for Onesimus in this culture. No rights. As a matter of fact, Philemon had every right to do anything he wanted to him, including death. Because this time in the Roman Empire, that was where we're at. Um, So Paul calls out the pastor of the church, and I like how he does it. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded of the goodness of God, don't we? And the goodness that God shows to us and to each other. Um, Skip down to verse number 5. It says, Because I hear of your love of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Notice what he did there? Because he's setting Paul up. You ever been in one of those conversations where you know you're in a setup? Okay, (laughs) where someone's setting you up. You know they're trying to get you to answer the questions a certain way because of what's coming next. Parents, you have children like that, right? They, 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 They pitch everything good they've done, and you know what's coming next. Here's what I want. You would never do that, would you, Natalie? No, never at all. Okay, same. We pitch that, and that's what Paul's doing. He says, I know something. Remember, he's never met Philemon in person, okay? And don't think of Philemon as a bad guy, because Philemon was living what the culture was of that day. In the culture of that day, you had servants who lived with you. He was a product of his culture. We're going to get to the fact that God changes culture later on in the message. But he was just a part of that culture. He says, I know you love all the saints. And then he says, the next thing he says, and I pray that the sharing, verse 6, of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He prays for the sharing of your faith. That term sharing of your faith there is a term called koinonia. It's used in the Bible of communion. It's used in the Bible of fellowship. It's used in the Bible of giving. Koinonia is a term that we would almost use as a brotherhood, if you will. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, I want you to understand there's a brotherhood here. Remember the family picture we started with? Okay. That's who we think of as family, isn't it? The people we live with, the people who we, we, uh, you know, have to be at their games, people that we, you know, if they call us, we have to answer our phones or we're in trouble. There's a little marriage tip for you. So, <laughs> if your wife or husband call, answer the phone. It's not worth it not to. 
Um, at least text back. Uh, find, find a way. Find a way to respond. Um, that's what we think of. But I want, I want you to see the bigger picture of Philemon because it's the bigger picture of the church we see today. It's the bigger picture of who we are here at Church on the Rock. And that is the picture of a family that's a brotherhood that's beyond brotherhood, right? It's a family that comes alongside family when family can't do it. It's a family who comes alongside and says, Brother, sister, I know you're having a hard time. How can we help? You know, whether it's something like I, I think of Cindy and Elizabeth and Ann uh, and all those who helped serve when their Banzics, uh, when Marge's mother died. Family that comes alongside, right? Family who cares. That's the picture Paul's painting. Paul's painting a picture of people who care for one another, who create a new family outside of what the old family was. By the way, the new family, and I want, I want to hit on this before we get any further into the text, the new family is still family, but I want, why don't you understand something about the new family. The new family is better than your old family in some ways and isn't in other ways. It's better than your old family because they live with the same Holy Spirit inside of them, which means they have the same convicting power inside of them that draws them to do the things right and draws them to help you out at just the right time and just the right place. But I want to give you the drawback of that family. They're still imperfect, just like your earthly family. Family let other people down, right? We all make mistakes. Bible says just man falls seven times and gets back up again. So Paul pleads for kindness, and then Paul lays out Odic I'll pronounce it right eventually. Odysseus's predicament. Verse eight. Verse 8 on through verse 14. Accordingly, that I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, to appeal for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have glad to kept him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be not by compulsion but of your own accord. There's so much there. There's so much there. Let me start where he, he gives the appeal he calls himself, in verse 9, a prisoner. And as a prisoner, he appeals in verse 10 for his child. Notice what Paul did there. Philemon's context of Onesimus was a runaway useless, serv useless servant, right? Paul says, don't treat him that way. He's my family. It's different, right? It's different when they're family. Family makes things 
You ever been in trouble and you've been glad that you saw someone who showed up that was part of the family to help you out? Uh, sometimes maybe yes, sometimes no. Uh, I've probably, uh, I, everybody has a dead horse story, right? And like one that they just beat over and over again. Um, I'm going to tell a dead horse story because you'll probably hear this 50 times. Um, I remember driving uh, after church to go eat with a family, and I got pulled over on the way there. It was one of those, you know, when they do the click it or ticket thing, and I'm sitting at the stoplight at Rockville Road and Ronald Reagan Parkway, and and I we were going to go to Steak and Shake to eat right there on the corner, and, and I... I said to myself, while I'm sitting at the stoplight, because I just hit it when it was just red. It's one of those lights, you know, it's three minutes no matter what. So you're like, what are you going to do? So I unbuckled my seatbelt because my phone was in my back pocket to text to see how many people I needed to reserve the table for. And right after I sent that text, fortunately the officer didn't see my phone because that would have been even bigger, but they were doing that whole click at the ticket campaign. And... uh, All of a sudden, lights come on in my rearview mirror. Okay, I'm like okay, well I'm, I'm gone, right? It's it's over, it's done. Whatever he's got me for is dead to rights. I'm hoping he didn't see my phone. Uh, I know he saw my seatbelt because he couldn't have not seen it. Um, pulls me over, asks me why he pulled me over, and you know you always kind of answer back, I don't know, because you know you don't want to admit to what you, <laughs> what they don't know. I'm. By the way, this is bad advice, young people who are driving. Ignore everything I'm giving you right here. Um, but as as I'm doing that, one of the people who go who was going to lunch with me had authority over that gentleman. And you know what he did? He texted that gentleman and said, "Hey, I know that guy. He's a good guy. Give him a break." And I will just tell you, the officer's attitude wasn't all that good when he came back in and uh, ripped up the ticket and threw it at me. Uh, but I didn't have to pay it. <laughs> right? Because someone having authority spoke on my behalf because of our brotherhood. By the way, I didn't deserve it. I deserved that ticket. And it wasn't even the fact that it was worth a whole lot, like we're going to get into this story, but it was the fact that someone, even though I had done wrong, stepped into my place and helped me out even though I had done wrong. Understand this, Onesimus had no legal right to be free, but Paul appealed to his faith. I don't need to tell you this, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's moral. Okay, in their society, it was legal to own someone. That didn't make it moral, it just made it legal. I won't go down that road because we could get a lot of places in that road that will take us away from the whole message and the whole point of Philemon. But it's there. And I want you to notice what else he says because the word Onesimus, the definition of that term, his name means useful one. In verse 11, he says, formerly he was useless, meaning he didn't live up to his name. Formerly he was useless, but now he's indeed useful for you and for me. 
this again is that setup because we're going to get it later on in the letter, right? Says so this is my son. He's useful. And what's he do in verse 14? It says he preferred to do nothing without your consent, that your goodness might be by not by compulsion, but by your own accord. He sends him back. I want you to get this. Paul does the right thing, even though it doesn't feel like the right thing. You ever been in a situation like that? Had to do the right thing, even though you didn't feel like the right thing. He's appealing to Onesimus because not, not Philemon, not because he knows who Philemon is personally, but because he knows who Jesus is. See, he doesn't know Philemon from Adam. He's never met the man. All he knows is he's part of the family of believers, and he appeals to his character just because he's a believer. Folks, our character ought to be different. We, people ought to be able to appeal to us based on our godly character. Our character ought to be different. He sent him back because it was the right thing to do. And what I want to get to, and this is one of the exciting things I'm going to get to, and I'm going to set this picture off to the side, because what this picture symbolizes is something greater. What this picture symbolizes, a little four-letter word, it's on the sign behind me as well, just in case you can't read this one, a little four-letter word, L. O-V-E. Love, right? The new principle in the kingdom, the new principle in the new cultural dynamic is love. He's appealing to him on the new culture. If you're, if you're reading in your Bible, hold your space in Philemon. We're going to go back to Colossians just to see one verse, and then we're going to go back to Philemon. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 11 is where we're going to go. Colossians 3, verse 11. Because Colossians 3, verse 11 says this. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I don't care what Roman culture says. By the way, that means we should not care what American culture says, right? Whether it's right or wrong, we shouldn't care. Because <laughs> Roman culture told them, hey, there are Greeks and Jews. Their biblical culture told them, hey, Jews are better than Greeks. Their Roman culture taught them, hey, the slave owners are better than the slaves. This would have been considered insurrectionist talk at the time, by the way. It says, Christ is all in all, meaning I know Philemon, you picture Onesimus as lower than you, but let me tell you something, you both are the same. The same Jesus died for you. The same Jesus rose from the dead for you. He paid your debt. The same one. Say, why does that matter? It matters because sometimes we in the church get the idea that we can be better, don't we? For to be honest, 
you know, it's the old saying, that, uh, no, I don't lie or cuss or chew or date the girls that do. Okay. Maybe you didn't learn to date the girls that do, but it was the guys for you. But uh, kind of that moralism thing that we deal with, you know what I mean? We, we, we consider ourselves better because we're more moral than someone because we don't commit the sin they commit. But when you realize that Christ had to die, even if you lied once, that changes things, doesn't it? Christ had to die if you only gossiped about someone once because all sin, every single sin had to be paid for on the cross. Whether we consider it good in our eyes like a little white lie or whether we consider it murder, Christ had to die for every sin. Cultural dynamics are about to change. Remember, neither Greek nor Jew. So what's that saying? By the way, the Bible does recognize the ethnic differences, so don't, don't get me wrong on that. There are going to be ethnic and cultural differences. The Jesus you preach, I spent several years going down to Mexico during the winter months. And by the way, that's a great time to go to Mexico. It is nothing like it is here. It's, it's nice and warm and sunny and, and and when you preach the gospel down there, same book, different culture. So you, you teach it a little different way, right? Not because, but because you're teaching in their minds. So he acknowledges that, the cultural differences. But he says Christ is bigger than the cultural differences because he is ultimately the one that dictates where we go. So the new culture is this. Verse 15, for perhaps while he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. Verse 17, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And then going on, we'll go on through verse 20. If he has wronged you at all and owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I will say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Realize something. What Paul is talking about is a culture where there were no more slaves but servants of God for each other. Get the dynamic difference there? That means I don't expect Jeff to serve me, right? But I expect us in love to serve one another. See how much different that is? How much different the cultural dynamic is? And I love how he refers to it. He says in verse 15 that you might have him back forever, speaking of eternity. And then he goes on and says, don't look at him as a bondservant, but a brother. We should love each other as brothers. By the way, you don't have to like every brother you have, do you? <laughs> you have to love them as brothers. I heard this quote the other day. Uh, me and Pastor Jason were talking about something, I think it was back at camp, about liking people and loving people. And the quote was that we should love people enough that eventually we like them. Because 
because you understand the family dynamic, right? You love people. There are people you answer phone calls from you don't like to answer phone calls from. Everybody has that person in their family that, you know, always asking for fill in the blank. Time, money, babysitting, you know, and they only call you when they need those things, right? Uh, but the family dynamic is different. And I love how Paul, again, this is the setup, he says, I will repay, in verse 19, I'll repay anything. By the way, that was a big price, because finally, we don't know how long Onesimus has been gone. We don't know what, how skilled Onesimus was. We don't know what he did for a living. Paul might be volunteering repay, you know, in our society, a fifty dollars or $100,000 debt. He's saying, I'll repay it. By the way, he's saying, I'll repay it in prison. We already know Paul sometimes went homeless. So, But Paul's saying, don't worry about it. I'll repay it. I'll figure it out. But then he says this, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. What's Paul saying there? He's talking about salvation. Paul brought the truth of God's word to the Colossian church. That puts it puts in a different perspective, doesn't it? What's money weighed towards eternity? I saw, I saw a question uh, posed on social media um, the other day. The question was simple. It says, it, it said, if you could get rid of one of the three of these things, which one would you get rid of? It was the three things were Jesus, uh, $10 million, and your mother. Okay. By the way, if you don't pick option two, something's wrong with you, okay? That's the thing you get rid of. There's an issue. Why? Because that matters more. Why? Because your earthly mother gave you life, and your heavenly father gives you eternal life, and that's worth more than $10 million. Don't, don't get me wrong. If you offer me $10 million today, I'm going to take it. Right? And you all do the same thing too. But if you said, I had to do without one of those other two, no. It's a world of joy he's pitching to him. He says, verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He says, I don't want any money from you. I don't want anything from you. Refresh my heart in Christ. Show love to Onesimus, and that's how you'll pay me. Then there's a scriptural principle here. Uh, I'll jokingly say that I've gotten used to uh, being married. Um, the scriptural principle starting in verse 21. Um, Confident of your obedience, I write unto you knowing that you'll do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I want to go to a couple things there, and then we'll be done. Um, first thing I want to go to there is he has confidence in a man he's never met because of a God he knows in verse 20. Because he says, I'm sorry, verse 21, confident in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Going that extra mile, right? We as believers ought to go the extra mile for other people. 
we ought to be willing to be inconvenienced. Because just as our earthly family should have control over our schedule, our heavenly brotherhood should as well. We should not be able to be inconvenienced by brothers and sisters who need our help. We should consider it a joy, just as Paul is talking about. Verse 22, and this is the, you're wondering where I'm going with this. says, prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping for your prayers that, you will be, that I will be graciously given to you. Paul's praying that he might go to visit this church in Colossae. But he says, prepare a guest room for me. What's, what's that have to do with? Paul asked for a room because family stays with family. See, he taught me that. Family stays with family. I grew up in a family where, you know, you go visit family out of town, you stay in the hotel. <laughs> I, I actually kind of like that. It was nice, you know, people, you get fresh towels, uh, you know, everybody's happy to see you. There's a hot breakfast and nobody has to talk to you when you eat the breakfast. It's just there. You can eat it at 7, you can eat it at 9, it's still out there. Um, you can come and go as you please. Family stays with family. It's not like that, is it? But he's saying, prepare a guest room. Our houses ought to be open. Especially coming out of this time we've gone through with COVID and everything, our houses ought to be open again. Whether it's for small group, whether it's just for someone who needs a place to stay who's struggling. I, I, in the last week, we've had three people sleep in our house that aren't related to us, right? Just because life circumstance said, hey, I need a place to stay for the night. Hey, I, I need to talk, and I know by the time we get done talking, I ain't going to get home, right? We have to provide that for each other. I want to close with this thought. Because we read through Paul, Paul wrote most of the, most of the New Testament. But something interesting about Paul is this. Every other letter in the New Testament he wrote, he refers to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every other letter. Why not this one? I believe the reason is simply this. Because what Paul is doing is telling, is telling Philemon, hey, live out what Jesus did. Die to self. Die to self. Paul was willing to pay a debt someone didn't know for someone who didn't deserve it. I want to tell you, if you're here this morning, and I know most of the message this morning has been to believers, but if you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus. He loves you. He paid a debt for you on the cross for your sin. Sin is anything bad we do. Sin is anything we do that displeases God. He paid a debt on the cross that you might be saved. He didn't pay that debt because he owed it. He paid that debt because he loved you. All he asks you to do is to admit you're a sinner. Just acknowledge to him your sin. And traditionally, uh, in the American church, we've done it with prayer, but that doesn't mean that's how you have to do it. But admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and ask him to come in and be your Savior.
love. It's what Jesus is about. It's what the Christian family dynamic is all about. So let's love one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together. Lord, I pray that you would work in a way only you can work today. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you that he loved us enough to die for us. And Lord, we just, we ask as as we go into this time, uh, Lord, of, of prayer, of invitation, Lord, that you would work in hearts. Lord, there might be someone here that has to lay down something they've been dealing with, whether it be a family situation of lack of forgiveness or whether it just be simply to acknowledge their sin and come to you. Lord, we just pray that you work in all of those things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you want any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www dot churchontherockbb.com